Last week, Pastor Dina asked the question about what voices we are listening to, and I have to admit, I can't get through that question without snickering just a little bit. What voices are you listening to? What are the voices that when they say, come follow me, we respond to them? We need to be careful when considering the the competing voices uh, in our lives and understand that they are not all offering the same thing in different ways. You know, sometimes that is obvious, uh, and I, I was very careful when I wrote this, but uh, a creepy guy offering from candy from the, a beat-up white van is much different than an invitation to hug a beloved father or grandfather. Sometimes, though, the difference is not so obvious. The offer of significance from the world is sometimes hard to differentiate from the offer of significance from Jesus. In fact, it's so hard that we do often confuse the two and seek after one in our hearts when our heads should be say uh, our heads say that we should be seeking after the other. Now, this week's passage is going to show a bit of the difference. Now, while Jesus isn't talking about significance per se, he is going to be showing the difference between valuing, uh, valuing religion, and I'm going to define that in a minute, over a relationship with God and others. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 2. I'd invite you to get your Bibles out, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark is the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark. It's about two-thirds of the way through the entire Bible. Mark is, I I, uh, will say this, I said this in Sunday school class, if you have ADHD, Mark is your gospel. (laughs) The word immediately shows up a bunch of times in Mark's gospel, and he runs through the action pretty quickly. But I want you to notice a couple of things. We're going to read Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 22, and I want you to notice a few things as we go through it. First of all, I want you to notice that this passage, though large, goes through a series of actions and responses. So there are a series of actions and then responses to those actions, or non-actions and then responses. If you can see the action-response pattern, it's going to help you kind of grasp onto, remember the passage a bit better, and also understand the passage a bit better. Jesus does something, then people respond, or Jesus doesn't do something, and people respond. The second thing that I want you to notice is our main idea for today, and that that is that life with Jesus is incompatible with a life uh, with life with the world's values, whether they're religious or not. So life with Jesus is incompatible with a life with the world's values, whether they're religious values or not. We're going to talk about that. So let's turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. Hear God's word as I share it with you. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, this is up in Galilee, we're, about, uh, we're some miles north of Jerusalem, The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the uh, the mat the man was lying on. 
When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took up his his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. (laughs) Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. You may know Levi by his other name, Matthew. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They can't, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will then fast." No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. This is God's Word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your Word that you have revealed yourself to us and that you have revealed to us the way that you have created this world to work. And so we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us today. Remind us that you have life that is worth living for us. And show us how we can seek after you and find the life that we have only dreamt of. Strengthen my words during this time, O oh Lord, for mine are empty, just a, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O oh God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, in that passage, in those 22 verses, did you see the pattern? Did you see the action and then the response and then the the action and then the response and the action and then the response? 
there are three kind of vignettes that we went through there. Uh, first of all, Jesus and the paralytic. I think probably a number of us, if we've been through Sunday school, we probably have a decent idea about this story. Um, we've probably seen it on a flannel graph at some point. Um, but Jesus' action in here is that he heals by saying, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want to make a side note right here. So that I want to clear up one thing that is not directly related to the main point, but that may be on our minds. We want to be careful to, to understand that Jesus is not saying in this passage that this man's specific sins have caused his direct issue. I want to clarify that right now. He is, what he is saying is that the sin in this world is the root of brokenness. Sin in this world is the root of brokenness, but there's not a one-to-one correspondence between that. And so he, he isn't saying that, uh, for example, that if you tell a lie, you're going to become a paraplegic. Otherwise, we'd have a lot of wheelchairs in here. Yes, amen? What he is saying is that as a result of sin in this world, things don't work the way they are meant to work. So if you have had that thought, I just can't get my body to do X anymore. Or I, don't, I notice that my, my eyesight isn't as good as it used to be. Or as, I, I wish I could hold my hand steadier than I, than I do. If you've had any of these thoughts, that's not because you sinned, but it is a result of sin. Do you hear me on that? It's not a one-to-one correspondence. You didn't uh, cheat on your taxes, therefore you lost some eyesight. We live in a world of sin, and sin causes brokenness and causes our bodily systems to wear down. It's entropy. Sin introduced entropy into the world. And so I want to make that point clear, but because Jesus says, you know, uh, you know, uh, Son, your sins are forgiven. That is not a specific sin. He doesn't say, Son, your sin that caused this is forgiven, but your sins are forgiven. You have been released from the power of sin. And that heals the man, although he, Jesus goes on to use the, the phrase, get up, take your mat, and walk, to prove that he has that authority. So that was the action. Jesus, uh, the response is from the Pharisees, and they say, who, do this guy, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Who, and here he is saying, your sins are forgiven. Who does he think he is? That's our first action and response. The second action and response has to do with Jesus and the tax collectors. So Jesus uh, goes and he sees Levi or Matthew, and he says, come follow me. And uh, interestingly, Jesus says, come follow me. And what does he do? He goes to Levi's house. He follows him to to Levi's house. Interesting motion there. Interesting movement there. But he says, come follow me. And he goes and, and Levi leaves his tax collecting booth and he follows Jesus. And, he, and Jesus goes and he eats with sinners and tax collectors. Uh, we discussed this morning in Sunday school that these are not the, the religiously observant people. These are not the people that you would find in the pews on a Sunday morning. These are people who probably had no regard for the Mosaic Law, and tax collectors were not valued. I know, hard to believe, right? 
that, that they were not valued and they were not looked favorably upon, but they were viewed as traitors because Romans used resident Jews to collect taxes from the Jews. And so you were viewed as a sellout to Rome if you were a tax collector. The pay was good, but the reputation was awful. And so Jesus eats with, calls Levi and eats with sinners and tax collectors. And the response is the Pharisees going to, to Jesus' disciples and saying, why does he eat with these people? Why does he have anything to do with these people? What, what is he doing? And so that's the response there. And then the third action and response has to do with Jesus and traditions. Jesus, this is where the non-action comes in. Jesus is not fasting. Now, the Pharisees and the disciples of John are fasting. Now, that's an interesting comment because, okay, the Pharisees, we have kind of a negative connotation. We know that they're looking for Jesus to, to kind of mess up. They're not happy with Jesus. But the disciples of John, now that's a group we don't know a lot about. And the only, in, in Mark's gospel, the only indication we get of John so far is that John is the person who baptized Jesus. Not exactly a bad connotation, by the way. I would be happy to be in those shoes. And so we have to understand that the disciples of John are not necessarily a negative connotation here. It isn't like, ooh, watch out for the question that they're asking. They're trying to trap Jesus. These are people who are coming and asking a sincere question. Why aren't why isn't your master fasting like everyone else? Why isn't he following the traditions? And Jesus responds with the answer, basically, they can't. The response is, is they can't. Or I, I should say, Jesus' non-action is that he isn't fasting, and uh, the response to that is, why aren't you? So Jesus has confused and upset a pretty wide array of people so far. But we have that pattern of action and response, action and response. And so the question is this now. We've gone through this. Hopefully you see it a bit. The question is, how do we make sense of this? What do we make of this section of Mark's gospel? You know, in each of the sections, Jesus gives a little explanatory note about his actions and what they mean. Uh, in, uh, in the episode with the paralytic, he says that he wants to demonstrate the fact that he has authority to forgive sins on earth. And so he, he demonstrates his authority there. When it comes to um, Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, he gives the explanatory note that I haven't come to call righteous people, I haven't come to sit with the good, nice people, but I have come to call sinners, sick people, people who need help. And when it comes to not fasting, Jesus' explanation is simply that, uh, that his presence is like the presence of a, a groom on the wedding day. Now, we, Pastor Dean and I have, have collectively done a number of weddings here, and I'm pretty sure, I didn't check with you on this, but I feel really confident. How many, how many uh, couples on their wedding day have you seen fast? Yeah, okay, anyone fast on their wedding day? No, and Jesus is saying, no, of course you don't do that. 
I'm like the groom here. You don't fast when the groom is with you. You don't go, you don't go to the reception of the wedding and say, no, I'm sorry, I'm on a diet. Especially if you're, on, especially if you're the groom. Now, he gives an explanatory note. And then what we get in verses 21 and 22 is we get a summary of the entire section. Let me read that, that little point again here. Jesus says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the uh, new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. The first analogy he gives we can probably understand because if you have, if you have uh, uh, put a cotton shirt that hasn't been pre-shrunk into the dryer, you know what it's like, and you think, did I just instantly gain 30 pounds? But when it comes to the wineskins, we might not understand that analogy quite as much. Uh, when it comes to the wineskins, back in those days when they made wine, what they would do is they would press it in and put the wine into vats first, and that would be the first fermentation. But then after that, they would skim off the, the stuff on top, and what they would do is they would pour it into leather bags. Now, if you're familiar with leather at all, you know that when leather is first worked and, and, and properly tanned and so on, it's very, very pliable. It's why our, uh, if you have a leather wallet, they last forever, it seems like, properly done. But leather, if you expose it to the elements and if you expose it to liquid, such as wine, over periods of time, what happens to leather? Breaks down. Gets brittle. It, it's not flexible anymore. If you tried to use that leather in a wallet, you'd get two wallets instantaneously. And so they would use these wineskins made out of leather and they would pour the wine into it to allow that fermentation, to allow the wineskin to expand and to, to contract. But if you use it too many times, the leather breaks down. And if you put new wine into an old wineskin, what would happen is the fermentation happens, it bubbles up, it expands, and the thing cracks. Now you've broken the wineskin and you've lost the wine altogether. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that he has come to do a new thing. Jesus is saying that, that, that he came to do something that doesn't fit into our old ways. He has come and he's showing a way of life that we can't kind of adapt into our current way of life. Otherwise, both things are going to be lost. Jesus, when he came, he, he said, I, I, I can't, I, like I referenced in prayers, he, he came and he said, I've come to bring life and bring it to the full, as he says in John's gospel. And what he's saying is that he has come to bring forgiveness just as he came to bring to, just as he offered to the paralytic. He's offering forgiveness in a way that is not attached to the Mosaic law, although he will fulfill the Mosaic law. He has come to offer forgiveness in a way that doesn't say you've got to clean up your act before you get to God, but God is going to come down to you and meet you where you are. 
I mentioned earlier that I need to make a quick, uh, I need to make a definition of what religion is uh, versus a relationship with God. Because oftentimes we, v- uh, we value religion. Oftentimes we value uh, religion because here, here's what the definition of religion is. Religion is the work that we do in order to get to God. It's either a system or it is an unsystematized way of us trying to reach the divine. But what Jesus says when he comes is he says, that doesn't work. You can't work your way to God. You can't, you can't find a 12-step program uh, on your way to God. You can't, you can't put together a book, a how-to book, and sell it in, in Barnes & Noble. This is how you get to God. Because if we understand the Old Testament, which we slogged through for however many months, if we understand what the Old Testament was telling us, it was that we can't work our way to God, because the Mosaic law, the law, was a system of ways for us to be right before God. It it, it was a number of laws that says, if you want to have a right relationship with God, you need to do these things. And what does the history of Israel tell us? We failed. We failed big, we failed spectacularly. We didn't just fail once, we failed generation after generation after generation. And we don't have to go into the nitty-gritty of, of the Mosaic Law and say, well, you know, there are some laws. Let's go to the big Ten Commandments. Let's start just with coveting. Anyone feel that they can say that they have, throughout their life, not coveted ever, not desired someone else's things? I didn't think so. We don't have to go very far to realize how far we have fallen. And that's what Jesus is saying, is that he is saying that, that if, if we try to adapt Jesus to, to trying to find our way to God, if we think of it as one more system, one more angle to be worked so that we can actually make our way to God and be right before our God on our own, then our efforts are going to be fruitless and that his cross means nothing. That, that's the thing. And in Jesus, when he does this, we we need to understand that he upset a whole large swath of people. Jesus upset the the religiously observant through through the political elite in that day, whether whether it was the the Jewish um, religious leaders or whether it was the Roman political leaders. He, he, He upset some folks. Pharisees were really upset with Jesus. Who does he think he is talking like that? They believed he, had been, uh, he went beyond what was allowed. Interestingly, it's fine if you want to go ahead and heal someone from paralysis, but if you want to forgive their sins, watch out. Those two are related, as he puts out. But, he was also, but they were also upset by the company he kept. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And yet, here's the thing. Jesus didn't seem to be a fish out of water when it came to keeping company with tax collectors and sinners. Their greed, their vulgarity, 
their lack of respect for the Mosaic law or for polite company even, didn't seem to put him off at all. Do you notice that? At no point does it indicate that Jesus is uncomfortable. I'll go there if I have to. But by contrast, Jesus seems to be a bit sharp and a bit short with the religious leaders. Did you notice the sarcasm in his voice when he said, why are you thinking these things? What's easier to say to the paralyzed man? Son, your sins are forgiven? Or get up, take your mat, and go home? Anyone ever remember sitting in Sunday school and actually counting out the words? Which one is easier? Misses the point, too. Jesus is, is asking a rhetorical question. What's, what do you want me to do? You want me to put it in a nicer frame for you? At the end of the day, I'm going to forgive his sins. And then he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So get up, take your mat, and go home. He gets a bit sharp with the religious leaders. And yet he's at company with sinners and tax collectors and and people not of polite company. So all this should cause us to ask some deeply reflective questions. First of all, would Jesus be comfortable in our company? Or would he be short and sharp with the way that we view others? I think that's a, that's a very powerful question, a very difficult question that we need to ask as the church. Would Jesus be comfortable in our company, or would he be short and sharp with us like he was with the Pharisees? Listening, uh, Barna came out with some new research recently. You're going, oh no, not that again. But it's instructive, and we need to, if we are going to be a people of truth, then we need to be a people of truth. Majority of, of uh, women with children who do not, uh, the majority of, uh, ugh, let me get this out correctly. In a poll, the majority of women with children responded their chief problem with the church is that it was not supportive mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. When we talk about churches, and this is a common thing in in churches, we want young families, we want want children to come, we want families to come, and yet the majority of the women who have those children respond that the church is not a supportive place for them to be. Are we trying to put something new into something old? Are are we trying to to maintain some some religious tradition without actually pointing to Jesus and showing people the way of Jesus, a way that is supposed to be life and life to the full? And I'm not talking health and wealth here. There's a great deal of distance between health and wealth and what I'm talking about. Would Jesus be comfortable in our company or would He be short and sharp with us? Another question that I think that we need to ask ourselves as, as followers of Jesus Christ is, are we comfortable in the presence of the sick and sinners rather than the presence of the religious and, and like-minded? Are we comfortable in the presence of the sick and sinners rather than in the presence of the religious and the like-minded? 
Does the church look too much like a country club and too little like what Jesus is doing, kind of dirty and messy, willing to be with people wherever they are? Now, hear me on this. This is not a thing. The pastor told me I can go to the bar every night of the week. Don't. mm, Let's get around that one right away here. But are we comfortable in the presence of people who, who... swear? Are we comfortable in the presence of people who don't have any regard for Jesus Christ? Are we comfortable in the presence of people who have no regard for God? And do we love them? Do we care about them so much that we are willing to put up with that? Because Jesus was. The, the author of all creation, the, the, the holy of holies, was willing to come down and to sit with the people who were outcast by our standards, not his. Are we willing to sit and eat with them too? Or do we like things nice and neat? Do we like things, uh, do we like to curate the, the invite list? We want those people, but oh, not those people. Are we comfortable in the presence of the sick and the sinners rather than in the presence of the religious and the like-minded? I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. And finally, on, on an individual level, Are we attempting to fit Jesus into our way of life rather than abandoning abandoning our values and our preferences for his? I think that's a direct question that comes out of this. Are we attempting to fit Jesus into our way of life rather than abandoning our values and our preferences for his? Jesus said if if we try to fit him into our way of life, both things are going to get ruined. And I think we see that played out in real time, where people uh, look and they say, well, yeah, I, I guess I'll be a part of Jesus, and, and I'll get a bit of Jesus, and, and I'll show up on Sundays. But then they realize, you know, if, I'm, if this is all about being a good person, then, you know, I can be a good person and get an extra hour of sleep on Sundays every week. If, if Jesus is just about our attempt to fit something into our life to make it better, I think we're going to find that, that Jesus is spoiled and, and, and our life gets spoiled as well. But I think we find that if we follow Jesus while abandoning our values and our preferences, that we start to define success, that we start to define significance, that we start to define worth and impact based on his values rather than ours, then we find that Jesus comes into our life in a way that opens it up and that provides it with the significance and the impact that we could never dream of. Life with Jesus is incompatible with a life imbued with the values of this world. We can't have it both ways. We can't have our cake in Jesus too. Except at the potluck afterwards, Kimmy, that's okay. (laughs) But we need to understand that if we're taking a little bit of both, if we are treating it like a smorgasbord, if we're treating it like a buffet, if we're treating it in a a cafeteria style, that isn't going to work. Jesus said both are going to get ruined. He wants us to follow him, to find the forgiveness of sins for our life, to find significance and purpose in our life in a way that we couldn't have imagined on our own, and to find relationship with God as it was meant to be. That 
is the hope of the gospel. That is what Jesus is talking to us about in this passage. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks because of who you are. Thank you for showing us that there is a way to know our belovedness in you. There is a way to to find forgiveness, and it doesn't have to do with our own strength, but you came so that we might have life. Help us when we are tempted by the voices of this world to choose significance and impact and purpose in a way that isn't following you. And when we follow those paths to a place where they have led us to emptiness, remind us through the prodding of your Holy Spirit that you will still have us, that you will still say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And that you can put us, even at that moment of our deepest brokenness, into the new way of your life. Lord, thank you for who you are. Help us to respond in faith. This we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.